Here's to five miserable months on the wagon. A wizard is never late for the wagons. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. What you are about to see is bizarre, unsettling, and riveting. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello, and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. Welcome back for another episode of Stories. This time we're talking about books and reading. I've always been a big fan of reading. I love reading. I've loved books all of my life. I, uh, I did an episode where I actually read one of the stories that my mom read to me as a kid. That was just one example of the dozens and dozens and dozens of stories that my mom read to me when I was little. Uh, I do remember, for instance, a whole book of poems that she used to read. It was a book called A Child's Garden of Verses, and it was written by Robert Louis Stevenson. And that would be part of our bedtime ritual. She would read these poems to us. Then she would also read a variety of stories from the Book House series that I discussed in the episode called uh, The Knights of the Silver Shield. And you can check that story out if you want to hear that story. I may read more of those stories in future episodes. We'll see how that goes. Uh, But yeah, reading was always important to me. Stories were always important to me. Just the, the tales of other lives and other places and other times was always fascinating to me. So I really got into reading a lot as a kid. I think part of my desire to get into reading was it helped me escape from the world I was living in. And if you listen to the episode on bullying and being the overweight kid, you know why I needed to escape. So I used books as my haven. Books and games were my haven. Today's episode is about the books I read, the stories that I liked, and some of the authors that I continue to like to this day. Now, you have to understand this is before the time of what they call today young adult literature. There wasn't any young adult category when I was a kid. There was kids' books and there was grown-ups' books. And the kids' books would go up to, you know, your teenage years, something like 13, 14. And then there was just a drop-off. There wasn't anything that you would consider young adult literature at that time. It was kids' books and adults' books. So I devoured all of the kids' books that I could. My tastes ran the gamut of anything I could put my hands on. There were genres of kids' books, but the books that I remember were really little kid books and then the teenage kid books, which were like the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and Tom Swift and the Bobsy Twins. These are all the names that were popular when I was a kid. I didn't start there, though. That's where I ultimately got to. But I started with Sally, Dick, and Jane. Now, does anybody remember Sally, Dick, and Jane? I don't think that they're around anymore. My kids didn't read Sally, Dick, and Jane. But Sally, Dick, and Jane were the early readers that I remember when I was a kid. They were part of my kindergarten and first grade reading, and I devoured those books. So much so, and I'm not saying this to brag, it's just what happened. I read everything that I could get my hands on throughout first grade, so much so that they skipped me in first grade. They said, you're reading everything we've got. You're doing everything we can give you and more. You're out of here. They moved me up to second grade. And uh, I read everything in the second grade, too. 
It was just something that I loved. I loved reading everything I could get my hands on. Now, I don't remember any details about Sally, Dick, and Jane. I remember there was walking and playing with the dog and tying shoes and climbing stairs and going to picnics. But that's the extent of my knowledge and memory of Sally, Dick, and Jane. There wasn't a lot of substance there. It was just what there was. So I read the crap out of it. But I do remember graduating to the Hardy Boys. Now, the Hardy Boys was a mystery series with Frank and Joe Hardy and their famous detective father, Fenton, who really couldn't seem to solve a lot of crimes now that I think about it. But the Hardy Boys were teenagers who I could identify with. And I think that was the point of the Hardy Boys series. They were supposed to be identifiable to everybody. And I identified with them. I liked Frank. I liked Joe. I liked their friend Chet. I liked their girlfriends, Callie Shaw and Iola Morton. Yeah, I still remember the names. That's how much I read the books. And I remember I remember the first four in the series. There was something like 60 books in the series. And my goal as a child was to collect all of them. Now, we didn't go to bookstores to buy them. We would get them in boxes of auction stuff. As you know, my dad went to auctions. And uh, he would get these wonder boxes. And in the bottom of some of the wonder boxes were books. And you would be able to find a copy of The Tower Treasure or The House on the Cliff or The Secret of the Old Mill, or The Missing Chums. Those are the first four volumes, and I'll never forget those titles because I read them and then reread them and then reread them because I loved the books so much. And by the way, I do that with books. I reread books that I like because if the story moves me, I like to revisit the story, not only because of the way it makes me feel, but also because when you reread a book that you really like, You sometimes get stuff out of it the second time or the third time through that you didn't get the first time through because you're noticing different things. So I've reread the Hardy Boys books many times, and I've gotten a lot out of them as a kid. I obviously haven't read a Hardy Boys book in a few years, but back in the day, boy, I would reread those books because I loved them so much. I didn't read Tom Swift. I heard of Tom Swift. There was something about Tom Swift... It just didn't appeal to me. I never remember even seeing more than one of his books in any of those wonder boxes my dad would bring back. And Nancy Drew was off the table because, well, I was a boy and boys don't read about girls. That's the way we were brought up. I read about girls now, but at the time, a a mystery series by a girl detective, we didn't read that stuff. No. Yeah, we were definitely... (laughs) We were definitely a little behind the times when I was growing up. And I also didn't read anything about the Bobsy Twins. My mom tried to get me into the Bobsy Twins because she had a Bobsy Twins book, but I never read the Bobsy Twins. It was Hardy Boys and only the Hardy Boys. And that was until I discovered a series by Robert Arthur called Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators. Now, I don't remember how I discovered these books, It may have been through school because we had the Scholastic Book Club. Remember that? Those of you who don't know, once a month, the Scholastic Book Club would put out a little catalog of books that you could buy through the school at a discounted price. And they had a variety of books. I seem to remember that they had the three investigators. They had other things, sports books and books on crafts and that sort of thing. And I can't remember if I got the three investigators through the Scholastic Book Club, which was a cool thing, by the way. You did get a lot of great prices on the books, but as I've said, we didn't have two nickels to rub together when I was growing up, so we didn't get very many books through that because we always got our books in boxes of auction stuff. 
But it may have been one of those times through the Scholastic Book Club that they had a good deal and I was able to put my hands on the first book in the series of Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators. And it was a book called The Secret of Terror Castle. And again, it would be, I guess, qualified as young adult literature now because it was involving some kids whose names we knew but ages we didn't. It was Jupiter Jones, it was Pete Crenshaw, and it was Bob Andrews. And these young teenagers, and I think they were, you know, 13, 14 years old, they formed a little investigation club and they somehow met Alfred Hitchcock and he supported their endeavors in examining or exploring or investigating these supernatural phenomena. So The Secret of Terror Castle was one of the first books in the series. I remember the title of a couple of the other books, uh, The Mystery of the Stuttering Parrot and The Mystery of the Whispering Mummy. Always something a little weird about their titles. The Hardy Boys were a little more realistic. The House on the Cliff, The Secret of the Old Mill. The three investigators had stuttering parrots and whispering mummies. So there was a difference in tone and tenor of those books. But they were things that I was interested in, and they were well written for kids my age. So I read them, as many of them as I could get my hands on. If you're detecting a theme here, yeah, I was kind of into the mysteries at the time. I've gone through stages in my life. I've gone through mystery stages and supernatural stages and fantasy adventure stages and science fiction stages. That doesn't mean I don't like other genres. It just means I'll read every book in a genre that I can get my hands on until I get tired of it and then move on to the next one. Now, interspersed through my Hardy Boys and my Three Investigators books, I read sports books, too. And my favorite books along these lines were sports books that involved unique stories, like great moments in pro football, or strange but true baseball stories, or strange but true football stories. Those are the kind of books that I read. I actually still have all three of those books on my shelves down in the basement, because when I have a book that I like, I hold on to it, and I've had those books for decades. Haven't read them in decades, but I keep them because I remember them, and books to me are kind of like touchstones. You want to hold on to them. I don't let them go. They're cool to me. And I remember Strange But True Baseball Stories. That's the the book that I read where I read about the midget who played in the major leagues. Strange But True Football Stories. I remember the story of Tom Maddy, the quarterback Well, the guy who played quarterback for the Colts back in the, I want to say, 60s or 70s, all of the quarterbacks were injured, and this guy named Tom Maddy, whose number I still remember, by the way, 41, because it was emblazoned in my head from reading this story over and over again, and yes, I did reread the story because it was fascinating to me. All of the quarterbacks were injured, and they had to put Tom Maddy into play in a game because there was nobody else to play quarterback. And he'd played quarterback like years ago in high school. And I just thought it was really cool that this guy who'd never played quarterback before at the pro level was forced to play quarterback and led his team to a victory. It was just an interesting story to me. So I loved that story. So those are the tastes that I had in my early years of writing mysteries and sports, but not just statistical things. I wanted to read about interesting things, things that would capture my imagination, that were unique, that were odd. I remember the only biography that I read about sports was the biography of Lou Gehrig. I remember reading that in grade school, and I was fascinated by Lou Gehrig, and he became my favorite baseball player of all time. It helped that he was a Yankee and I was a Yankee fan, but Lou Gehrig was just an awesome human being from everything that I read in that early biography. And everything I've seen about him since then confirmed what I believed based on reading that biography. So 
Lou Gehrig was the only biography that I read, and it just stuck with me. He was just a guy that I wished that I had gotten to know. So we had our sports and we had our mystery. And then as I got older, my tastes started to evolve. I remember in one of those boxes of books my dad brought home, I put my hands on a couple of books that contained short stories based on episodes of The Twilight Zone that Rod Serling had written. I don't remember if Rod Serling actually wrote the book or if somebody had written the episodes based on the teleplays and the scripts that Rod Serling had written. But I remember that book or books because of the stories stuck in my head. And I have since seen the episodes that the stories were based on. But my introduction to The Twilight Zone was actually reading the short stories that were based on the episodes that were on TV. A lot of The Twilight Zone episodes, if not all of The Twilight Zone episodes, I don't remember when that went off the air. Uh, but a lot of those episodes aired before I was ever watching TV. So I read about those episodes in books first. Now, I had another experience with short stories based on a TV series. And this is, uh, this is a series of books written by James Blish. Now, James Blish is an accomplished science fiction writer, but what he had done is he had taken all of the scripts for the Star Trek series, the original series, and for every episode, he wrote a short story. Now, there's something like 79 episodes of the original Star Trek series. So he compiled these short stories in 12 volumes of books. And he did a great job of it. Now, unlike The Twilight Zone, I had seen all of the episodes for Star Trek. But I read the short stories anyway because they were so well written and so interesting to me the way the writer put the story into written form. And so I have those books to this day and I loved reading those stories over and over again. Another series that I liked was a fantasy adventure series written by Piers Anthony, and it's the Xanth series. The only title I remember is the first volume. The first volume of the Xanth series is called A Spell for Chameleon, but it fit right into my wheelhouse of interesting stories, great premises, a different area, a different time, a different world, and I really liked the Xanth series. And there's gotta be 10 or 15 volumes in the Xanth series, and I read every one. But the Xanth series was my introduction to fantasy adventure. I did wind up getting to the granddaddy of them all from the Xanth series, and that's the Lord of the Rings series by Tolkien. I read The Hobbit and I read The Lord of the Rings, and I loved both of them. I shouldn't say both because The Lord of the Rings is actually three volumes. I loved all of them, let's put it that way. But I do remember now that volume three of The Lord of the Rings was kind of a slog for me. I liked the first one a lot, and I liked the second one a lot. But I do remember struggling to get through the third book of the series. The movies I enjoyed immensely, but the books were a tough read for me by the time I got to the third one. And unlike many of the books that I've read, I've only read the Lord of the Rings series one time. I remember it vividly, but I've only read it the one time. I think it's because it was so difficult to get through that third volume. I've gone back to it and tried to reread it, but I just couldn't get into it a second time. Now, this is within the past 10 years I tried to go back to The Lord of the Rings because I remember loving it, but I just couldn't get through it. The Hobbit was also really, really good. I enjoyed that, I think, more than The Lord of the Rings series. And, of course, I went to see the movies for that. The movies expand way beyond what The Hobbit was. The Hobbit was a, a single-volume story, and it was a really good self-contained volume, and I enjoyed that, and I've actually reread The Hobbit a couple of times. 
But in keeping with my changing tastes and my experimenting with different genres, I did leave the fantasy adventure realm and I wound up finding Stephen King. Now, I know there are a lot of Stephen King fans out there, and I am a Stephen King fan. I love Stephen King. I like his writing style. I love his short stories. And I'll be honest with you, I can't argue with a man's success. So anything that I say that's critical of him is just purely my opinion, and it's not meant as an indictment of anybody who loves his stuff. Personally, for me, I love his early stuff. I love the early short stories that he wrote in the 70s and the 80s. I love the early novels that he put out. And there's four that stand out for me and four that are my go-to books whenever I'm talking about Stephen King. And they are Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, and The Stand. The Stand is one of my favorite all-time books. There's another book that he wrote called The Eyes of the Dragon, which is different from anything else that he's written in that genre, that supernatural horror type genre. The Eyes of the Dragon is a really great Stephen King book that I don't even think of as a Stephen King book. It's more of a fantasy adventure book, but it's really, really well done, and I love that book. But The Stand is one of my favorite books of all time. If you ever want a great epic book to read, The Stand is the one to read. I am going to recommend that if you do put your hands on a copy, get a copy of the original version, not the one where he put out the, what he calls, unabridged version, where he puts in a bunch of stuff that the editors took out the first time through. Not as an indictment against Stephen King, it's just that you have editors for a reason, and when you get too much stuff in that book, which is already huge, you tend to lose a little. That's just my opinion. That being said, the original version of The Stand stands up to this day as a great epic novel. I love that book. I have read recent Stephen King stuff, and there's a lot of Stephen King stuff that I just don't like. He does a great first three acts, but when he gets to that fourth act, that last quarter of the book, I've just been disappointed on a consistent basis with the way he ends his stories. The first one that he ended in a way that I just couldn't, I just couldn't get past it was It. I know people love It. I know people love the movie It. I know people love the remake of the movie It. But that book, man, it was so, so good for three quarters of the book. And then it just went off the rails for me. I just didn't like the end. I'm not going to spoil anything in case you want to go read it. You can go judge for yourself. But I just, I, I just, didn't like the ending of It, and so I stopped reading Stephen King after I read It for a long period of time. I went back to him years later, and I checked out Dreamcatcher and Desperation. And once again, with both of those books, I was thrilled with the way they started, but the last quarter of the book, it just lost me. I didn't like the way they, the story turned. I didn't like the endings. And so I was very disappointed once again in Stephen King books. Now, I'm told that Needful Things and Misery are two great books that I should read. And I haven't gone back to read them because I don't want to be disappointed again. There's lots of other books that I'd rather read rather than take a chance on being disappointed again. So I'm not sure that I'll ever read those, but maybe I will. But the four that I gave you, The Stand, Salem's Lot, The Shining Carrie, highly recommend, love the way they played out. He also has some volumes of short stories that I really, really loved. Skeleton Crew, Four Past Midnight. His short stories were scary as hell. And speaking of scary as hell, Salem's Lot, I was reading that late one night. 
It was so scary. And The Shining, oh my God, there's parts in that book where I literally had to put the book down and walk away from it because it scared me so much. I just had to walk away. The stuff that he wrote early, I just loved. And for teenage me to be exposed to that stuff and my vivid imagination, oh, wow, it was unbelievable to me. That's why I really was taken by Stephen King in the early books. But I didn't stay with Stephen King. I moved on to other authors. I discovered Donald Westlake in my teenage years, and thank God he kept writing for years and years and years. I loved Donald E. Westlake and the stuff that he wrote. He wrote a book called Cops and Robbers, which is about some cops. Well, I won't spoil it for you. If you want a good, interesting caper novel, go find Cops and Robbers, written by Donald Westlake. He also wrote a series of books involving the same crew of slightly inept criminals, and any of the books that he wrote with John Dortmunder, those are good books and I highly recommend them. The one that sticks out in my head for two reasons is a book called The Hot Rock. It sticks out for two reasons because, number one, the book itself was an incredibly engrossing read. It's funny, it's exciting, it's interesting, and it also translated to one of my favorite movies. Back in the 70s, I want to say, Robert Redford starred as John Dortmunder in the movie version of The Hot Rock. And I was so excited when I saw that movie because it was so good and really tracked the book very well. Of course, it wasn't 100% the book. You can never do that because books are books and movies are movies. But they did a really good job of translating the book to the movie. So if you're looking for a good read, go find the book The Hot Rock by Donald Westlake. And if you want to see a good old 70s movie, The Hot Rock with Robert Redford is really good. Now, my tastes have expanded. I try a lot of different books these days. I try a lot of different authors. Right now, my tastes are kind of in the mystery detective hero mode. So I've got a lot of Elmore Leonard on my bookshelves. I've got Lee Childs. I've got Michael Conley. And so I read those books when I get the chance. My life is different now. When I was a kid, I devoured books every day. But nowadays, I, you know, I, I have time to read a book occasionally. I tend towards magazines if I'm reading at all, because you can get in and out of a magazine relatively quickly. But with a book, I love a well-written book, so I hate to interrupt it by having to put it down for a day or two and then try to pick up the story again. But I do occasionally. It's just not like it used to be. When I was a kid, I read all of the time. I just wish I had the time to do it now. So that gives you an idea of where my literary tastes go. And that pretty much covers the waterfront. I mean, science fiction, fantasy adventure. I've read westerns. I remember Louis L'Amour, but I didn't get into westerns a lot, occasionally. But science fiction? Absolutely. Supernatural? Oh yeah, I like that too. But as long as the writer writes a good story, tells a good tale, I'll give it a chance. I have no problem giving any writer a chance. It's just a question of finding the time to do it. And that's where my struggle is these days. Anyway, that's going to do it for another episode of Storytime. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share my stories and my memories. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. Until next time, you take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.